we fly basically by just looking out the window, uh, lake to lake, you know, pick a river, follow it to your destination. Whereas the, uh, the big boys, the big airlines, they have all their computers and all that to tell them where to go. Welcome to People of Yellowknife. I'm Jonas Schönfelder and this is a new podcast where people tell their stories about living in Canada's north. Yellowknife is the capital of the Northwest Territories in Canada, located north of the 60th parallel. Indigenous people inhabit the area for many, many years and in the 20th century the discovery of gold and later diamonds made Yellowknife an important place for the mining industry. I've been living in Yellowknife from August to November this year and found this place so interesting that I decided to speak to some locals about what it is that makes this city such a special place. For the first episode, I sat down with 25 years old Joel Strong Covello. He's a bush pilot flying float planes that land on the Great Slave Lake. Here's what he said. I'm a bush pilot for Amic Air here in Yellowknife Northwest Territories. I always wanted to fly as a kid. And it was always a dream of mine to become a pilot. As I was growing up through the literature that I was reading and uh, the stories that I heard from uh, other people or even some TV shows or movies, um, the bush flying and the float flying and the ski flying really, really got me interested in that and started to be like, I want to be a bush pilot. Not, I didn't want to be an airline captain. I wanted to be a bush pilot. So for my 16th birthday, I was uh, pretty fortunate to get uh, ground school for my mother uh, for my private pilot's license. So that was in Calgary and started going to ground school classes after my high school classes uh, out at the airport and started flying there at 16. And after I graduated high school, I had my uh, private license and uh I uh, drove my car over to Kelowna, BC to attend college there and finish off the rest of my training for my commercial license. Two years later, I uh, moved up to Yellowknife, November of 2013. The The flying that I do now is, uh, is considered bush flying, so I guess we can call ourselves bush pilots. We're not necessarily the same... Uh, same breed as what came before, for instance, in uh, especially in the gold rush up here in the nineties. But uh, even before then, when, you know, these guys had very uh, limited resources and uh, very sketchy equipment, the early bush flying was open cockpit, the freezing cold, you know, no map. They, they drew the maps. They literally, uh, would be flying along and drawing rivers on their, their, their maps so that they could find their way home and they'd be exploring for, you know, gold and diamonds and silver and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but they, they had no help like here. Nowadays we have, you know, ground crews and maps and air traffic control, GPS, all that kind of fun stuff. But back then it was nothing. They just, They had to do everything themselves, and I think that's that's the real adventure. So I don't think if I I'm cut out for that. I, I like my GPS and my nice warm airplane, but uh, we still do some of the same stuff: the uh, float flying, so lying and taking off on water, and then once the lakes freeze in the winter, we put skis on the airplanes, 
and uh, do the same thing, take off from the frozen lake. I find it incredibly rewarding because it's very challenging work. We don't have any autopilots or anything like that. The the big airlines burn jet fuel and we burn uh, avgas as well. So no autopilot, no co-pilot, single pilot uh, flying. And uh, we fly basically by just looking out the window, uh, lake to lake, you know, pick a river, follow it to your destination. Whereas the, uh, the big boys, the big airlines, they have all their computers and all that to tell them where to go. And uh, we just got to find a way to achieve the, the mission for that day or what have you. And, you know, it, it can be challenging work just because of the, the winds and weather and waves and all that kind of stuff. And uh, especially the machines. I mean, the De Havilland Beaver that we fly is uh, is the bush machine. It's, it's pretty well known for being a really good machine for this kind of work. And I don't know, flying a radial from 1950s. That's that's pretty cool in my book, and uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. So Almic in the summer, uh, we fly the two beavers on floats and a 185 on floats. And uh, on a good day, we'll have all three of them flying all day from sun up till sundown. Or, well, in the summer, the sun never goes down. So until uh, we can't fly anymore, so we're allowed to fly only a certain number of hours in the day. So we'll get here in the morning and, uh, you know, check the oil check the fuel, put some fuel in the airplane. Maybe it needs some oil too. Uh, see where our first trip is. It'll be to a, it could be to an exploration camp uh, somewhere up in the tundra. It could be to a local fishing lodge uh, or a wilderness lodge, or it could be as simple as a city tour. And we, you know, we'll fuel the airplane for that, get it ready for that, put seats in, take seats out. Or if we're going to an exploration camp, maybe uh, another local company will come down with a load of groceries and we'll load the airplane and go. And uh, we'll come back from that trip and just go right into the next one. And could be, like I said, a number of things could be going anywhere. The beavers, we generally limit them to about five people for uh, going anywhere just because for weight issues. Uh, and we still can't bring all that much gear. But, uh, you know, if you're going somewhere and you got a grocery load, if you think about it, people weigh a decent amount and groceries tend not to. So you can fill that airplane up pretty well with groceries or, you know, fuel or whatever they need up there. Pretty much anything. If you bring it down, we'll try and transport it for you. But if we can't, you know, for uh, uh, legal reasons, or if it just doesn't fit, then obviously we can't, but we'll try and make it do. We can go pretty well anywhere. The only limiting thing would be fuel, but uh, that can be, uh, we can uh, keep going if we bring fuel with us or for instance the day before we'll bring fuel out to some lake and park it there for the night and use that fuel to get even further but we'll uh we'll go anywhere so fishing lodges uh or wilderness lodges one of them is blatchford lake lodge that's about 50 miles to the uh southeast of Yellowknife. Uh, so it's about a half hour flight and it's, it's actually quite a nice spot big lake uh, the lodge is very beautiful. Um, it's it's a really nice spot to go. Uh, it's pretty relaxing to go there. Look, I've been there a number of times. Uh, I couldn't tell you how many times, but been there on floats and skis well over 100 times. Um, and the, the people that work for them are very nice. So I enjoy going there. 
uh, other spots, uh, there's some exploration camps we go to. So Calvin camp is about 120 or so miles, if not more than that, maybe 150 to, uh, to the basically directly east of Yellowknife. And that's actually in the barren lands. It's in the tundra. It's right beside Gatchaque mine. And that's, a. Uh, it's called Kennedy Lake. It's quite a nice lake, uh, or it can be. Some of it's a little choppy and a little rocky, but that's an exploration camp. And we bring in fuel, gear, personnel into there. Or another exploration camp to the north is HW Camp, and uh, that's actually quite a challenging spot to go into. It's uh, rising terrain on either side, and it's a very small lake. So we tend not to take any, uh, any big loads out of there, just because we like the area to be able to uh, take off and land. But uh, that's one of those places that you get your hair standing up in your arms because you're looking at it and wondering, okay, this is going to be interesting. We face a great many challenges up here. So weather is probably the biggest one of, you know, looking at the weather in the morning, making sure that you can achieve that flight and, uh, if it looks a little dicey, maybe there's another way around it. So diverting somewhere around a storm. Um, in the fall, we tend to get some uh, some snow squalls that kick around, and those obviously can't fly through those because you'll pick up ice. Uh, the other thing, when you're landing and taking off, uh, wind is a big factor. Um, you don't want a huge wind, obviously, because it could upset the airplane if you turn the wrong way. But you also don't necessarily want no wind because the wind actually helps create a lot of lift over the wing. And uh, if the water is still with no wind, it's called glossy water. And uh, it actually sucks the airplane back down on the floats because there's no no way to break the surface tension. So that that can be a limiting factor for us as well. And then the other thing is uh, just your own stress. Uh, you just got to make sure that you're well rested, uh, you know, have your coffee in the morning and relax and not stress out about stuff because that's when you start panicking and getting into trouble. I moved to Yellowknife in November of 2013. Uh, so I drove my little Honda Civic up that sketchy highway. It wasn't... <laughs> It was probably not a great idea to do that, but I had no, uh, I didn't know any better, right? So I was, oh yeah, I'll move to Yellowknife, go find a job. I didn't, I moved up here without a job. Uh, I think I got here on a Thursday and by the Monday I was already working at a, at a local, uh, company. So I worked, uh, the ramp as they call it. So I was, uh, the ground personnel for two years before I got a shot at the cockpit. And then I flew there for a couple of years and, uh, then came to Omic cause I enjoyed the flying that we do. I think my decision to move up here was I wasn't necessarily getting a job down south. It was a little bit uh, more difficult. And uh, I wasn't really that motivated to fly uh, that kind of airplanes, you know, uh, instruments and up up at high altitude, you know. I really like being down low in the trees and falling rivers and lakes. So uh, that was motivation. And then just the the adventure that it seems like, oh, you're moving up north and it's, uh, you know, never been up here and it, it, it's quite a remote spot. I thought it was going to be uh, quite adventurous. And and my first night, you know, went out for a walk on the lake, which was pretty cool. Like, you know, and in November, lakes are frozen solid and there's already airplanes on the ice and 
look up and some beautiful northern lights. And I think I fell in love with this area quite quickly. And everybody was so welcoming. I mean, you know, you move to a spot and usually you find a friend or two, but everybody was just so nice and like, oh yeah, come over for dinner. Like it was, it was quite amazing. And I think the people really make it what it is because it is a hard place to live, especially in the winter with the, uh, the darkness, like the sun comes up at 10 30 or 11 and sets at 3 30 when it's right in the dead of winter and it's minus 45 or minus 40 and the wind chill gets you and it's cold. So I think that was a, quite a challenge. It still is every winter, but uh, the people and the adventures that you have with everybody make it worthwhile. Yellowknife compared to, for instance, my hometown of Calgary, yeah, it's uh, it's quite a bit smaller and maybe there's a little less to do, but uh, you know, we still have a movie theater and a couple of nice restaurants and stuff like that. Uh, there's nothing that I miss in in Calgary per se that I would like to have up here. I think it's one of those things is when you do go down south, you get to do some of the things you don't get to do up here. And it's a bit of a treat. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take, uh, you know, any amusement park or anything, a big pool with water slides or anything like that up here. I think uh, Yellowknife is its own unique town. You kind of uh, roll with it. Yeah. Uh, another thing that happens up here is obviously in aviation, everybody knows each other. It's quite a small community and uh, you get to know everybody. So you get some good friends and then everybody wants to move on to bigger and better things and people will leave and new people will come in, which is, uh, it's always a revolving door. It's kind of interesting watching that. And uh, there are quite a few people that good friends with that uh, have left or have even come back. And uh, it's always funny to go see them down south and reminisce about the times that we had up here because everybody's going to remember it for the rest of their life. It's, it's an interesting spot. People of Yellowknife is produced by me, Jonas Schönfelder. I hope you learned something today and I would be happy if you'd subscribe to this podcast. It's free and your episodes will be downloaded to your phone automatically. You can find more information about this episode and how to subscribe on my website jonas-schönfelder.de That's j-o-n-a-s-s-c-h-o-e-n-f-e-l-d-e-r.de Thank you for listening and see you next time.